0: good to see you. Hey, today I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you just to say this in your own heart. I'm going to focus on the supernatural. Can you say it right now in your heart? And what you have to do is you have to recalibrate your brain because what what happens is we get so focused on the natural world and going through the routines of life that sometimes we just have to kind of snap ourselves into a new mindset. I want to see, God, what you want me to see. I want to, I want to explore into your heart and into your mind. I want to understand the things of God. So here's the focus. Focus on the supernatural. Focus on the supernatural. God, I want to see things that I can only see with the spiritual eyes. Secondly, be directed in your life by revelation. See, we've learned to function really well with reason, and reason is a great tool. But reason alone, apart from revelation, will lead us down the wrong path. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own, here it comes, understanding, that's reason. When I do that, I miss out on the revelation. So what I have to do is I have to find that what I believe has to be reasonable in the kingdom, it may not be reasonable in the natural world. If you look at the Bible, it's filled with stories that are unreasonable in the natural realm, but make complete sense in the supernatural realm. Sometimes we hear about what, something that God's done in someone's life and you look at it and you wonder, did that really happen, is that really true? but we never balance it out with what does the Bible say, and there's some pretty crazy stories in there. Amen? I mean, you look at it and go, really? And God wants us to understand that we we cannot really thrive in the spiritual world if we reject it because of reason. Now, what we believe is not unreasonable. It just far exceeds our ability to reason in the natural realm. So you begin to see things. Paul said that the eyes of our heart might be opened, might be enlightened, that we might see the things that God has for us. So think about this. We have to embrace an open heaven. The idea that God is interacting with us, God wants to bring the reality of heaven into your life. God wants to bring spiritual truth into your life. God wants to do more than give you a couple of keys and tips on how to live your life. He wants you to walk in the transformation of a new creature in Jesus Christ. The old man has died, we put on the new man that we might walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. And until we do that, we miss out on everything God wants to say to us. Now, let's take our Bibles open to the book of Genesis and the chapter 28. Genesis is one of those books that's easy to find. Right? If you don't know where it is, just start at the beginning, and I promise you, you will find it. Genesis chapter 28. Now, as you're finding your place, let me just talk to you a little bit about the supernatural and how God works. This past week, I, I got some continuous phone calls to hurry up and call him back for my friend Randy, who's seated over here on my right. And he kept calling, I was busy, and finally after the third one I thought, I better answer this, I don't know what Randy's up to, but I've gotta get on the phone. So I go, what's going on? He goes, I gotta tell you a story. And at first I thought, okay, this is gonna be a good story, I'm sure. He said, so I'm over in Fullerton and I'm getting tires on my car. Now you know, stories that start like that aren't typically the ones that are worth an interruption. Sorry, Randy. But it turned out to be a really good story. So he said, I was over in Fullerton, and I'm waiting on my car, and it's taking forever to get these tires put on my, on my truck. And, and so I'm getting a little frustrated, and all of a sudden, a guy comes walking around the corner, and he's an older guy, and he's frustrated too. And we begin to talk about our frustration with the, how the tire store is operating at that particular moment. And so as, he's, uh, as we're talking, Randy said, well, tell me your story. What's your, what's your story? And he begins to tell him his story. And, well, what'd you do before that? And tells him about that. And then, G- and then he said, what are you, how are you with Jesus? And the guy stopped and, well, probably not much going on there. And, you know, I used to go to church a little bit when my wife was alive, but, you know, now I really don't. And anyway, to make a long story short, At a tire store in Fullerton, Randy had his arm around a 93-year-old man, prayed and led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a supernatural moment. That's a moment of birth. If you've ever been in a delivery room and watched your wife have a baby, you got totally grossed out. No, you were amazed by the miracle of what happened there, right? It was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? It was was an unbelievable moment. I did get a little lightheaded, I gotta admit. But, um, But you knew that something miraculous had happened. Do you realize something more miraculous than that happens when someone comes into the kingdom of God? That they are born again. They go from death to life. A baby goes from life to life. But a person goes from death to life. They go from darkness, being in the domain of darkness, transferred into the domain, into the kingdom of eternal light. A baby goes from life to life and one day will physically die. But a person who goes from death into life never dies. They live for eternity. Think about the supernatural miracle of that. Now in the book of Genesis, we have a story of a man by the name of Jacob. And by the way, Jacob's name means deceiver. How'd you like to have your parents name you that? What's your name? Your name will be deceiver. And everyone will know that that's your name. And he lived up to his name. Most people live up to their name. Their character typically is reflected in something to do with their name in biblical records. So in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 28, let's look what it has to say here as we study. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it as his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Now the first rule of good sleep is do not use a stone for your pillow, right? (laughs) Right? So he's sleeping, he's exhausted, he's tired. He's gone through some traumatic moments in the previous chapters. And it says, then he dreamed. And this was prophetic, what we're going to see. The dream was not just one of those dreams that you have after you've had pizza. No, this was something different. This was a prophetic dream. God was honing in, speaking to him, giving him some insight into something. And behold, a ladder was set up from earth and its top reached literally touched, according to the Hebrew, to heaven. And there were angels, which are messengers of God, ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood. Now, what's unusual about this is when you find God in Scripture, he's typically seated. He's not standing. He stood up, for example, at the martyrdom of Stephen when they were killing him. It says Jesus was standing by the throne. And so here we see something unusual. This is a, got a mark in our scripture that says, why is he standing here? Almost standing as if to see how we're going to react. Seeing to say, I'm gonna take notice on what's going on. And God stands up only about six or seven times in scripture. The rest of the time he is seated. And so it says here that he was seated or standing and he stood above it and said, I am the Lord. And he uses that word, Jehovah. I am the Lord God, Elohim. So he reveals himself as this all-powerful God who makes a covenant with us. See, God is not just all-powerful. God is a God who wants to make an agreement with you and I. He wants to make a covenant with us. He said, I am the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Now, this was a promise that was made years ago. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was the original promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go interesting phrase I am with you and I'm going to keep you I'm going to protect you wherever you go don't worry when you get in a tight spot don't worry I am there to keep you see sometimes we were we get ourselves out there and we find we find all alone we feel desperate we feel a little helpless and all of a sudden we say well what am I going to do and God says I will keep you I'm going to protect you God is a shield all about you, the psalmist said. Your glory and the lifter of your head. God is always with you. Well, what if I don't feel him? You don't get saved by feelings. You're not sustained by feeling. You're sustained by faith. You're you're saved by faith. You just walk in faith. God, you said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Even if the emotional roller coaster goes up and down in your life, and it will, it will. You're human. He said, I'm gonna keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. He noticed that there was something unusual about this place, and this place had history. You know that God sometimes makes his presence known in some places more than others? Sometimes God's spirit moves in some places more than others. Sometimes God reveals things in places he doesn't reveal them in other places. When we were doing crusades in El Salvador, it was an unusual move of God. Almost one-third of that nation came to faith in Christ in 17 years. Put it in perspective, that's 120 million Americans coming to faith in Christ in 17 years. So what was going on all around it? What was going on in Nicaragua and Guatemala? What was going on in all the other Latin American countries? Almost nothing like that. In fact, it was the only country in that Latin American mix that was actually experiencing what we would call a great move of God or revival. Now the question is why? There is no explanation. God showed up, God did something in that moment. Well, this place that he calls Bethel, is that kind of a place. It was an unusual or unique presence of God. And he said, and I did not know it. In fact, I walked into it, wasn't aware of it, and all of a sudden something happened. Have you ever been sitting in a service like this and the person next to you says, uh, you know, I, I tell you, God just spoke to me today. God moved in my heart. God did this, this, and this. And, and then you're thinking, well, he didn't do anything for me. I thought it was boring and I was just totally out of touch. I don't know, I, I don't even know if I'm coming back. What happened? You see, sometimes you can be in the presence of God and not know it because of where you are spiritually. Sometimes you have to turn on that spiritual light in your own heart and say, God, would you show me what I need to see? Would you let me hear what I need to hear today? Would you open the eyes of my understanding? He said, I was in that place and I did not know it until now. And he said, I, and he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? You see, God's presence stirs our emotional life. When we get into the presence of God, we go, you know, God's doing something here in my life. And he said, this is none other than the house of God, which little in the Hebrew means Bethel. Beth is the Hebrew word for house and El is a shortened version of Elohim. El is the house of God. This is none other than the house of God. And then he says something very unusual. And this is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. The entrance or a transition point is a gate. When I go through the gate, I I transition from the front yard to the backyard. And what it's saying here is I'm transitioning. Something's here. This is a gate of heaven. There's something going on here. And here's what I want you to understand. One encounter with God, one encounter with God can transport you into another realm. You can be walking in the natural realm and just kind of going through life. All of a sudden you have a God encounter and instantly everything looks different. People look different. Your heart feels different. The scriptures look different. The whole ability you have to connect with God has radically changed and you don't even know what happened. It was just one God encounter. And that's why what we want to do is live out our life every day looking for, expecting a God encounter that we interact with God in a powerful way. You see, these are prophetic words because listen to what God said to Sarah, his mother. Remember, Sarah was pregnant with twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob becomes Israel, the nation of Israel we know, and Esau becomes the Arab nation. And there's this turmoil going on in this whole time in the womb. In the womb, there's turmoil. And Esau is the firstborn. But look what God says before they're ever born. Listen to it. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23. Two nations are in your womb. How'd you like to have God speak that word to you? Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. The older would have been Esau, and the prophetic word spoken by God over Sarah is that the younger is going to be served by the older, which would be very unusual because the right of the firstborn was to get all the inheritance. It was to to receive all the authority over the secondborn. Now, Let's fast forward. They grow up, and Esau is a hunter. And he comes in from hunting. He's had no success whatsoever, and he's starving to death. He says, I'm starving. And he says, what are you cooking? He said, I'm cooking some stew here. He said, give me some of that. And he says, Jacob says, no. Jacob's name means what? Deceiver. Let's say it. Jacob was a? Deceiver. deceiver. Now, would you imagine that God would bless a deceiver? Let's say yes or no. Yes or no. How many of you wouldn't say yes or no to anything right now? You're afraid I'm going to trick you somehow, right? Okay. Well, let's just kind of dig a little bit and see what happens. So he comes in and he says, "Uh, what are you cooking, stew?" And he says, give me some of that. He says, no, I won't give any, any of it to you, but I will sell you some of it. Oh, what's the price? Your birthright. The right of the firstborn. Well, Esau didn't really care much about spiritual things. He was the kind of guy that could kind of go to church. He could go through the motions, and he says, yeah, that's nice, and that's good for other people, and I'll do it because it's a, you know, my family wants to do it, but, you know, I really don't care that much about it. He said, okay, I'll give you my birthright. And then later, we learn in the book of Hebrews, as as the writer reflects on it, it says, even though Esau wanted his birthright back, he couldn't get it. Even with tears, he could not get it back from his brother. You see, when you forfeit some things in your spiritual birthright, some things never come back to you. Opportunities never come back to you. The way that God wants to work in your life never comes back to you because you gave it up and you said, I don't care about that kind of stuff. It's not the same as your salvation. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose a birthright, an opportunity that God has for you. Now, what's interesting is we begin to go through this, think about this, expectation raises the opportunities to a new level. Let me ask you this, what do you want God to do in your life? Do you have any expectations at all? You see, some people, the only expectation they have is, I just want to go to heaven when I die. Well, that's no expectation whatsoever, that's already guaranteed, What is it you'd expect to see God do in your life? How's God gonna work in your life? How's God gonna minister through you? How's God going to to use you for the kingdom? How's God gonna use you in this world to influence people for Jesus Christ? I guarantee you, your expectation increases your awareness. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this place called Bethel. Back in Genesis chapter 13 and verse four, a grandfather named Abraham was there. Abraham was there and he built an altar to God. You see, this place had history. Did you know that when you build an altar that it affects generations to come? When in your household you establish a presence of God in your life and in your house, do you know it establishes something that God's going to do in the days ahead? That God doesn't take his eye off of that time and that moment and that place when you connected with him. He says, I'm going to do something and I'm going to start the ball ball rolling for you. Did you know this? That hunger increases your perception. You ever been hungry and you're just alert until you get mad? Do you get really hungry, right? Right? but you're alert, you're just, your mind is focused, you know what's going on. Hunger increases your perception, but in the kingdom of God, you rarely find what you're not hungry for. In the kingdom of God, you rarely find what you're not hungry for. If you're not hungry for God, you don't find God. If you're not hungry for a miracle, you don't see miracles. If you're not hungry for power, you're not gonna experience power. If you're not hungry for people coming to faith in Christ, you won't see anyone who's lost. You'll live out your days apart from all of that. But God honors audacious, bold ambition for his kingdom. Let me say it again. God honors audacious, bold ambition for his kingdom. This past week, I Jared is out of town and I got invited to speak at Esperanza High School and you know we've been setting up Bible clubs there and we meet in the gymnasium because the crowd you know has gotten to about 140 kids and so I didn't really know what to expect I'd spoken there once before for FCA and uh, the crowd was kind of mixed they were half of them were distracted and half of them weren't and some of them were playing with their phones and some of them were goofing off and so I didn't really know what to expect I walked in and everybody walked in got their pizza they set up on the uh, up on the bleachers there and they were ready and I'm thinking, this is an unusual moment right now that's going on here. And then uh, there's uh, Whitney Lang uh, laid some songs down and then and Jared uh, or uh, Jordan uh, actually made some announcements and led him in prayer. And then I got up to speak. And I spoke on, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say. It's a hard passage. And I didn't see one kid goof off. I didn't see one kid on his phone. I didn't see one kid not listening. And I was sitting there thinking as I was speaking, there's something unusual here. This is not normal for teenagers. This is not normal for adults, right? That the Spirit of God is doing something here and, and, and it, it's, it's beyond me, it's beyond anybody in the leaders. God just doing something right then, right there in that place because he wants to do something. We gave an invitation and about 18 kids gave their life to Christ. That's almost 100 kids that's been saved at Esperanza High School in the last three weeks. That is an unusual move of God. God. By November we'll be in five different high schools. We're in three right now. We'll be in five come that time. That's audacious. I pray that we'll double that number, triple that number. I pray there's no limit to what we can say, we can do for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. Jacob was that kind of guy. Remember, Jacob's name means what? Means what? Just keep. This is how I keep you awake. During dull moments of my sermon, all right? His name means deceiver. So now we fast forward, we go to Genesis chapter 32, and here's Jacob, and he's sleeping again. Something always happens when this guy sleeps. All of a sudden, he's wrestling with this angel of the Lord. And remember, because he's a deceiver, he doesn't want to be let, he doesn't want to get anyone away from him that doesn't give him something back. And all of a sudden, the angel says, Let me go. And he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. In other words, I didn't wrestle you for nothing. There's got to be something in this for me. He says, okay, I'll bless you. And he touches his thigh, and his thigh is dislocated, and he limps from that day forward. How's that for a blessing? Here's the principle. The principle is never trust someone without a limp. If you don't have a setback and you don't know how to overcome, you have not yet qualified in the school of life. But here's what the angel said. You shall no longer be called Jacob, the deceiver. You shall now be called Israel, the prince with God. The prince with God. You see, the relentless pursuit of God will lead you into a favored position in the kingdom of God. Let me say it again. I don't want you to miss this. The relentless pursuit of God will lead you to a favored position in the kingdom. If you do not have a relentless pursuit of God, do not be surprised in God's eternal kingdom if you are not in a favored position. You see, it really comes down to why am I doing all of this anyway? What's it really all about? Is it about me or is it about God's eternal kingdom? You see, the thing, the way that God works is God honors and gives you time to do what you want to do, to live life, to have fun, to go places, to see things and all of that. But he says, but I want your focus on me because nobody can serve two masters. You're going to love one and not love the other one. Or you're going to love this one and not love that one. You have double-minded person can't expect anything from God. Here's the, here's the truth. We owe the world an encounter with God. We owe the world an encounter with God. We are to be relentless in the pursuit of his presence and power inside and outside the church. You know where God really gets the credit? You know where God really shows up in a big way is when you take everything you get in here and you go outside the walls with it and you begin to share it with other people. How many people did Jesus heal inside the church? None. How many did he heal inside the synagogue? None. None. How many did he heal outside the walls? All of them. And what did it do? It said, we've got to go find out what this is all about. Because they saw the miracle and the power of God. They saw what God could do, and that changed their mind. We need to operate in an open heaven and see what God can do. Now, it's interesting about this passage here is Jesus quotes this passage. Take your Bibles, go with me to John's Gospel, John chapter 16, and look with me if you will, in John chapter 1, rather. John chapter 1, verse uh, chapter 1, verses 49 through 51. Now, here's what it says in John 1. Nathanael answered and said to him. Now, Nathanael was sitting under a fig tree, and, and, uh, and, and Jesus somehow knew all about what was going on in Nathanael's life. And it says that, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said unto him, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? He said, you will see greater things than these. Here's what he said. If you will believe me for the little things I do, I will give you more vision. If you will acknowledge my work in your life, I'm gonna give you more. I'm gonna bless that faith. You say, my faith is small. So was his. He didn't have much faith, but he had enough. And then he said unto him, most assuredly I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open. Here it comes, the idea of an open heaven. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He takes him back to a passage in Genesis chapter 28. Nathanael would have known that And he remembers that was a story of Jacob when Jacob had an encounter with God. And all of a sudden, Nathanael's realizing, I've just had a God encounter. And it says, you're going to see heaven open, and you're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You know what an open heaven does? It attracts the angelic realm. Now think about this. Hebrews chapter one and verse 14 says this, are not all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? Did you know you have angels that minister alongside of you? Where are they? Right? Well, you see, they're spirits. You ever had one of those moments where you go, wow, I don't even know how I made it through that. We hear that a lot of times in an accident. We hear it in different things, and it's almost like the presence of God was there. God and his angels were there. They're ministering spirits to us. Why were they created? They to serve God, who serve in turn mankind. Do we have a guardian angel? Well, I don't know why not. Scripture speaks of it. You see, there's more going on in this spiritual realm than we could ever imagine. But here's the problem with most angels as they're working alongside of us. They're bored. They're bored. Because if you think about it like this, angels are ministering spirits, but if, if life, the life we're living doesn't require their help, then why are they there? They're there to assist in supernatural endeavors to help you accomplish something for the kingdom of God. Have you ever noticed in Scripture when the angels show up, it's when they're attempting something big for God. It's when they're taking God at his word. You see, little risk in our life leaves little room for the supernatural in our life. If you think you can function without God, you do, and you do it pretty well. But you you miss out on all that God wants to do develop an appetite for the impossible. Develop an appetite for the impossible and angels will increase their activity as well as the Spirit of God will increase his activity in your life. You see, because the house of God, Bethel, is the gate of heaven. Don't miss this point. The house of God, it says in Genesis, is the gate of heaven. When Nathaniel encountered Jesus, he was encountering the gate of heaven. When people encounter you, they're encountering the gate of heaven, the Christ in you. It's the avenue toward the eternal kingdom. So, at the gate of heaven, what happens? See, great things happen at the gate. At the gate, broken relationships are healed. Isn't that what Jesus does? He takes those broken relationships. I can heal that. I can take care of that. And if you have a broken relationship, at the gate it can be healed. Financial provisions are found at the gate. It's God there saying, I've got all of this. Would you trust me? Would you wait on me? I know you're used to trusting in yourself. Would you wait on me? Your career aspirations are realized at the gate. Spiritual breakthroughs, they come at the gate. Physical and emotional healing, what happens there at the gate. Why you even find purpose for living at the gate. It's the gate of heaven. It's God showing you what he wants to do in your life. This past week I was reading about an African tribe and when this person does something wrong in this particular tribe, something harmful, they take the person to the center of the village where the whole tribe comes and surrounds them there at that village. When I first began to read this story about this African tribe, I I thought to myself, I wonder where this is going. They're going to punish this man. They bring him into the center of the village, and everybody surrounds this man. And they stand there surrounding him for two days. For two days, they will say to the man all of the good things that he has done. You see, because the tribe believes that in every human being, uh, they come into the world as good. Each one of us only desiring safety, love, peace, and happiness. But sometimes, in the pursuit of these things, people make mistakes. And when they make mistakes, the community comes and sees those mistakes as a cry for help. And what they do is they surround that person for two days and they unite then to lift him up and to reconnect him, to remind him who he really is until until he fully remembers the truth which has been temporarily disconnected that he has the capacity to do what is good. It's such a redemptive picture. Imagine in this kingdom of God, instead of, criticizing those who do wrong instead of ostracizing those who do wrong. Imagine if you stood around them and you spoke nothing but good into their life and you lifted them up and you encouraged them and you loved them. You see, the body of Christ is to be a redemptive place. It's supposed to reflect that gate of heaven. It's supposed to be more than just a place that says this is what you can't do. It's supposed to be a place where we say, I believe in you. And I believe you have a quality that's worth redeeming in the kingdom of God. Here's a few life applications. The first one is this. Faith declarations change the spiritual climate. Now, what's a faith declaration? Faith declaration is something like this. I believe that God is going to do this in my life. And I say it because of Scripture. I say it because he's confirming it in my friends. He's confirming it through my family. He's speaking to me in the circumstances. I'm going to make a faith declaration. I'm going to affirm what God has already said in his word. Secondly, that God's favor opens the gate of heaven. God's favor opens the gate of heaven. When I begin to to just operate in this favor of God, he says, I'm going to open up some things to you. And you know what we found here? Miracles follow miracles. When you begin to see God work in one way, God just keeps working more and more and more in your life. God begins to accelerate that process of what he wants to do. And you know what miracles do? They unify power. You get two or three people talking, you know what God did? You know what God did? You know what God did? And all of a sudden, that power becomes unified. And they say, well, why can't we just do that more? Why can't we pray for more people? Why can't we encourage more people? Why can't we love more people? Why can't we forgive more people? Why can't we be the redemptive body of Christ that God has charged us with to be and to do in life? Amen? If you're gonna live out a radical Christian life, you have to go beyond church. You have to go into this spiritual realm where you walk in the spirit, you live in the spirit, you're led by the Spirit of God, and you carry out the deeds of the Spirit in your daily living. And I want to challenge you to be that kind of a spiritual, radical person in Christianity today. Let's stand together as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray, we, uh, we are very aware, God, that you are a great God, a God who wants to do great and mighty things in our life. God, you want to dispatch angels to our side. God, you want to to empower us to do the unbelievable, the impossible, God. But we've been living a risk-free life. We've been living apart from this power that comes from on high. Maybe we're believing the wrong words that have been spoken over us instead of the prophetic words of Scripture where God affirms us, where God loves us, where God is working in us and through us, God. And Lord Jesus, we wanna pray right now that you would just touch every heart. Stir up that little faith, God, that it might be bigger and greater faith. God, that you would just give an insight into the supernatural realm of what you wanna do. God, that we would start becoming committed in a new and a higher way to the kingdom. And God, we know that the first step into that kingdom is that step of salvation to say, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that I believe he died, was buried, and rose from the dead. If you haven't made that faith declaration yet, I encourage you to do it right now. In your own heart, you can just pray a prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life. I believe you died on the cross, that you were buried and rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. Save me, would you, Lord Jesus, right now?